Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor in Focus podcast in partnership with Wisdom Tree. In this podcast, which is worth 45 minutes of CPD, we will explore how crypto investing has come of age, what trends we are seeing in this market currently, and how advisors might look to position themselves as the regulatory treatment of these assets changes. The size of the global cryptocurrency market is expected to reach 5 billion US dollars by 2030. The one recent report has estimated that market as big as 120 billion if certain conditions are met. Advisors, perhaps understandably, have largely shunned the emerging asset class. It is inherently risky and to date unregulated. Though could this be changing sooner rather than later? Today I'm joined by Matt Karian, a senior analyst in product development at research firm Ceruli Associates, Benjamin Dean, Director of Digital Assets at Wisdom Tree, and Chris Errington, private client tax partner at RSM UK, who specializes in crypto asset taxation. Hello all, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Matt, I'd like to start with you. You work for Zeruli Associates, a research firm who's done um, some research on crypto adoption in the, U- in the US um, by US advisors. And could you talk us through what you found in terms of the current market trends, adoption among amongst advisors and how this is different to about five years ago? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, thanks for having me. So we did a uh, survey that was the basis of this paper. Uh, we surveyed about 80 advisors across the U.S., um, asking them about their use of uh, crypto um, in alternative sleeves of portfolios or, or just in portfolios in general. And you know what, what we found wasn't terribly surprising from the standpoint of it, it's still you know very very early days. We're still seeing a relatively minimal adoption among advisors. Currently, though, expectations seem like there, there's some bright light at the end of the tunnel. So t- to start, we're seeing around 7 to 10% based on our survey, uh, you know, crypto adoption among advisors and a little bit more use found for uh, advisors that are allowing it in portfolios by the preferences of their clients as opposed to by their own recommendations. But if we look uh, a bit out longer, then we're seeing that about half or 45% of advisors believe that they will use cryptocurrency uh, in client portfolios, at least at the request of their clients. The number's more like 30% for advisors that believe they'll, they'll actually be recommending it themselves. And a lot of that can have to do with their abilities, what they're allowed to do uh, based on the rules of their broker dealer home office or their general advisory practice. Uh, so, you know, we're still looking at 70% of the current advisor population thinking that they're never going to be using cryptocurrencies. And we think that some of that will likely change with the aging advisor demographic. Younger advisors are definitely more uh, apt to believe that they will be using cryptocurrency at some point. But, you know, time will tell. I think we're already starting to see some numbers coming from our similar survey that we're doing this year that shows advisor adoption is continuing to approve. Uh, improve rather. Uh, so uh, I think overall good signs there. I mean, if we compare it to about five years ago, though, there was almost no crypto adoption. I mean, and the capabilities really weren't there as well. Uh, five, thinking five years ago, I think that was right around when the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust was launched, which was like the first investment that you could you know, buy uh, Bitcoin through or, you know, a regular market exchange in the U.S. Since then, now we have, you know, um, 
additional platforms and investment vehicles that they can use to uh, gain access for their clients. And I believe we'll get into discussing that a, a bit later here. In terms of your own research, what have you kind of found in terms of investor trends to date when it comes to crypto investing? So we're definitely seeing quite a bit of shifts demographically. Uh, we're seeing uh, more women investing in cryptocurrency. We're seeing a much more diverse uh, group of uh, investors than we saw prior. Um, there's a, a great research report, uh, survey-based report done by Gemini recently, which outlines a lot of these trends that we've seen. So it's certainly changing. We're also seeing an older population um, investing as well. Overall, continued positive signs, but it is still a slow, very slow moving vehicle. I think that, and you know, anybody's idea that uh, crypto is an opportunity to, to get rich quick, uh, they might be met with some resistance because of the scale that it's grown to at this point. But there, there's a lot of you know good, good signs showing that overall, what we'd like to see for any given investment that it's that it's gaining adoption um, through a much wider population and for a variety of different reasons as well. Now, before we move on to the um, the UK and the trends we're seeing in the UK, I'd just like to briefly touch on what we're kind of seeing elsewhere in the world. And staying with you, Matt, can you just tell us what we've learned from how investors have used crypto as part of the current Ukraine crisis? And perhaps also tell us what you make of what's happening in Venezuela as well, where crypto has kind of been adopted by the central bank in the in the form of a digital kind of bolivar. Yeah, happy to. I mean, we we saw some really good signs and really good reactions of cryptocurrency and the way it behaved based on the Ukrainian crisis. Uh, I believe it was a blog post uh, from one of the analysts at iCapital, uh, Anastasia Amoroso, I believe it was that that put out that article that explained. You know, what we saw was it re it remained independent, it remained decentralized, it remained safe from central authority, uh, and now while it you know, if you don't have internet access, it can make it pretty difficult to access, uh, you know, any sort of cryptocurrency investing. But, you know, overall, we saw a big spike in uh, ruble-denominated uh, cryptocurrency transactions occurring right around uh, the, the beginning of the crisis. And so um, it, it, it gives somewhat of an air of, uh, of safety and confidence to cryptocurrency investors to see that it, it acting the way that it has. Um, one of the things that they you know, point out in this blog post was that as opposed to a traditional financial system, which could be subject to uh, cybersecurity tax or what's known as you know, a single point of failure problem, Cryptocurrency, being that it's it's not uh, you know most of the computing power that runs the cryptocurrency networks are not centralized, it makes it significantly more difficult, and and it would make it a, a nearly impossible feat for any sort of hacker to be able to control what they would need to, which would be about fifty one percent of the hash power of a cryptocurrency network in order to really uh, to to be able to successfully attack the network. Now, of course, we have still seen. Uh, security concerns for uh, cryptocurrency and, and hacks, and we, we see them in the news quite a bit. They seem like relatively big numbers, but in the grand scheme of all cryptocurrency, it's relatively small amounts. And the hacks are usually occurring um, in bridges and in exchanges and things that don't really have to, uh, are, are not directly related to the functioning power of cryptocurrency itself, but these uh, tangential real programs that are that are involved in the network. So overall, we're, we like what we see there. We're also seeing similarly 
different uses, as I mentioned before, for cryptocurrency throughout the globe. Whereas in the US, UK, other developed nations were typically seeing cryptocurrency used for investing purposes, really to make money or to diversify. Whereas in less developed nations and emerging uh, economies, we're seeing crypto investors use it for preservation of their their buying power and you know we're seeing significantly different numbers in terms of the proportion of crypto investors in developed economies that think it's a inflation hedge as opposed to crypto investors in emerging economies that believe it's an inflation hedge i think it was a difference of like 20 percent versus nearly 50 percent that believe you know they can use it to preserve their their buying power over time um so, you know, it, it's interesting to think about the different use cases across different economies. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it, it supports the original use case that cryptocurrency was founded upon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's move on to the UK, in fact. Um, you've already mentioned the Gemini report, which came out, I think it was um, earlier this month in April, which suggested that in the UK, about 18%, so that's one in five adults, now own cryptocurrency and about 45% of those um, have invested for the first time last year in 2021. And perhaps most strikingly, about 80% said they bought and held crypto for the long term. Chris, how, is, how have you, what have you seen in terms of how the use of crypto has changed in the UK amongst investors? Yeah, well, thanks, Carmen. I think the, from, from my perspective, I, I advise a lot of people on their personal tax affairs. So I'm what we call at RSM a private client tax partner, but it's, it's basically advising individuals. And over the last few years, I mean, I think it's it's probably started from sort of 2017, 18 onwards when there was that first big spike and, and people were obviously making some fairly substantial gains in that space. That's kind of obviously we had the, the big fall in 2018 as well. And it, it drifted a bit for a couple of years and then obviously it's increased again. We're starting to see a lot more people having generated some large gains move into spaces like DeFi. Uh, the NFT space has exploded over the last six months or so. And going back to what sort of Matt, Matt was saying in terms of the wider take up, if you look at the UK, the FCA regulator basically estimated it in early 2021 as being about 2.3 million people in the UK would have crypto. I think those numbers are vastly understated. Even if you just look at the press at the moment, there's, there were reports recently that NatWest, one of the large banks here, had said that one in five of their customers was now invested into crypto. So they've, they've, that, they've got 19 million customers. That in itself you know, blasts the FCA numbers out of the water in terms of the number of people in this space now. You know, we've done, I've done lots of presentations and, and sort of informal surveys, if you like, and the, of both advisors and our client base. And it, it's increasingly getting into that sort of at least one in five people are sort of interested in it of our advisors internally about half of us are getting inquiries on on this sort of subject matter now so that's dealing with clients of a certain level if you like in terms of their complexity of their tax affairs but it goes to show that it's it's capturing the imagination and it is certainly sustaining longer periods than it was before and what we're seeing is people actually becoming you know, not evangelists necessarily but much more passionate about the space than they were previously whereas in it, it and this is from people who weren't necessarily into technology to start with you know historically the, the sort of first clients i used to start advising in this space were probably early adopters probably people involved in tech now it's much broader spectrum and you've got people who are sort of sitting silently and saying like telegram and discord groups if you like 
you would not necessarily associate with ordinarily be in those sorts of arenas if you like historically you know you, you it, it, the demographics like Matt was saying have expanded enormously I think in the last couple of years in particular. How are they using crypto? You know this report kind of suggested they're in for the long term it suggested some kind of one could almost say more professional kind of you know use yeah. of crypto. No I think that's fair and I think there are people now who and you've got to be slightly wary about this because it kind of rings uh, but, but alarm bells slightly and reminiscent of of those who are old enough of the sort of the internet bubble in the 90s that people are sort of quitting their jobs and spending all of their time just doing crypto trading now or investing. There are a lot of people who are saying the same about internet, you know, share trading back in the 90s. Well, that may be the case, but I think there are genuine real life purposes that you can use a lot of these coins for uh, that people just assume that it's just Bitcoin. There's, there's over 18,000 different coins now. We don't, not all of those are necessarily legitimate. We might come on to some of the risks and the scams and so on, but this technology isn't going away. It is going to, it's applying to a lot of the businesses that we're working with, as well as the individuals that we're working with. A lot of businesses want to introduce blockchain technology. And yeah, I think from that perspective, you've got businesses that are looking at crypto in terms of actually their, their say fintech businesses you've got people who are looking to make investments uh, in, in this space and actually professionalizing their investments and looking at that in a more professional way as opposed to say some speculative investing that they might have done before actually really getting into it and the trouble is is that there's very little guidance or advice to take out there on all of this stuff and then we've got people who are looking at things like can I create a trade from this? So, you know, I'm acting with people who are creating NFTs, minting those, selling them onto third parties. Um, I'm acting for people who are looking at sort of the financial space, the DeFi space. So a lot of people are doing sort of effectively lending to to other people, investing into various projects with, with businesses. And that involves providing liquidity to the market. And, and that's where it's sort of, it's a bit like peer-to-peer for those that are un- unfamiliar with it. We're, we're taking away the central banks and, and the institutions and, and democratizing, if you like, the financial arrangements. Benjamin, hello. You work for Wisdom Tree, um, an asset manager. What do you think UK advisors can learn from the kind of trends we've seen in the US, the, you know, the things that have come out of these research reports? It's a pleasure to be here. Indeed, I'm a director of digital assets at Wisdom Tree, a traditional asset manager. And Wisdom Tree was relatively quick in the European market to issue a Bitcoin-based exchange-traded product three years ago. Uh, Wisdom Tree sells a variety of financial services products to different institutional investors. We've got some thematic products. We do a lot of commodities. And uh, when we saw the digital asset segment peering a few years ago, uh, we began providing options to our our client base. Uh, It used to be the domain of of relatively technology savvy, uh, smaller investors, uh, family offices, multifamily offices, hedge funds, high net worth individuals. They had the requisite technical knowledge to understand how this stuff worked. They also had enough latitude internally to be able to make decisions that some might consider more exotic. What we're seeing over the last few years is a changing composition of the the client base. Now starting to see increased activity amongst the kind of uh, private banks, medium-sized financial institutions. Their clients are coming to them and asking, how can I get exposure to this space? I've just watched all of these people perform very well. And uh, I'd also like some exposure somehow. And now a lot of these more middle-sized, somewhere, if you'd say it was a journey of maturity, they're somewhere in the middle. 
uh, they're coming to us now and asking for assistance in A, how these products are structured, uh, what options are available, and then they're taking that at the behest of their own clients to, to, to provide that information. So I guess the common thread throughout our discussion today has been one of moving along the adoption curve. Uh, this what's changed in the last five years. Well, you've got the kind of people who are using cryptocurrencies. It's no longer just the domain of early first movers or innovators. It's moving along into this kind of bulk of the population. Excuse more younger because of the technical skills and the kind of digital nativity amongst that segment. More and more uses for cryptocurrencies means more and more people can use them to do things. And we're seeing that mirror in the financial services sector. So too are different segments of that market. Uh, we're moving along the adoption curve. It's not just the tech savvy people who used to be involved in or had access to venture capital and early stage tech investing. It's now getting into that bulk of the, the, the market where it's uh, folks who are just deciding how to allocate their retirement portfolios basically. And if they can get something with asymmetric upside, in five to 10 year holding period, well, that's that's worth one to two percent allocations in their portfolio. A lot of this kind of latest development will be spurred even further by what's going on in the regulatory field. I mean, Bloomberg Intelligence published a report also this this month in which they they predict that crypto in the US could even become mainstream if regulation became clearer in this space. But over over in the UK, the Treasury has confirmed that stable coins will be used as payment. Um, it will, will kind of be brought within the regulatory perimeter, so under the FCA regulation. Um, the Treasury will also consult on wider regulation of the crypto asset sector. And the FCA has already said it wants to design a UK approach to regulation that balances innovation and competition alongside the need for orderly markets and consumer protection. Now, Chris, what do we know about the Treasury and FCA's work in the crypto space? What's What's coming? Yeah, so I mean, it's it might have got lost in the news recently, but the Chancellor sort of stood up last week and said he wanted to make the UK a global hub for cryptocurrency. Um, the day before, Andrew Bailey of the Bank of England offered a slightly different message in terms of saying that you know, crypto is the the front line for scams. So we've got you know, we're still a little bit mixed at our messaging from a, from a government perspective here, albeit the Bank of England is obviously obviously independent, but the the, the there are plans basically to bring um, stable coins into regulatory environment, as you say, and I think we need that. And 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 the, the Bank of England consulted on this. We've been waiting a long time for some of the results of that consultation. Um, it, it was a, a public consultation, so anyone could have contributed to it, and, and it had a, a, a wide variety of people who who brought back feedback. Um, the sort of things that they're, they're looking at and the reasons they're looking at it. So, I mean, ultimately, it's there's there's a lot of support for both regulatory of, of stable coins, um, but also a, a central bank digital currency, a CBDC, those who are unfamiliar with the terminology, a Bitcoin, as, as Rishi Sunak has tweeted about, you know, it's creating our own digital currency, ultimately, a, a, a sterling equivalent. Um, and a lot of people think, as per the feedback of, in this consultation, that money is a public good, it should always remain so. So, you know, it's in our best interests to, to have that and, and not necessarily have a third party like a large tech giant, for example, create their own stable coin for that to be the currency. You know, I think with certainly within the, the UK political system, they want to keep control over, over the sterling. Um, 
and and there are wider benefits as well obviously that people coming back and saying well you know actually are the banks actually really focused enough on customers best interests you know if we've got this digital currency out there and it's more public does that make it fairer more inclusive um could we be left behind from a from an economic from a fintech perspective in terms of innovation if if the uk didn't have its own currency but it's not without risk. I think all of this, the, the House of Lords uh, came out pretty strongly against this in, in a report fairly recently. Um, they they were suggesting things like, you know, what if a hostile state were to uh, launch a cyber attack? Going, again, going back to Matt's point, maybe that isn't such a huge risk, but, you know, it, it clearly it's something that would need to be looked at. There were also more sort of, I guess, smaller issues that people haven't necessarily thought about. You know, there, there was a strong message coming through some of the feedback about people still wanted cash, which surprised me somewhat because I guess over the last couple of years in particular, we haven't really had a huge amount of need for cash in the UK. We, you know, we, we pay for things using our phones, we pay for things using chip and pin cards. So a digital currency feels like the next evolution of all of that. Um, but it, you know, it's, it, things that were mentioned were stuff like as simple as, well, how do I, you know, teach my children the value of money? And if I'm not giving them pocket money, you know, it's just going into a bank account for with some sort of digital currency. Or likewise, will charities miss out from, you know, sort of people raising small donations with buckets and things like that? And these are all things that I think eventually you know, will we'll get past in terms of the evolution of it all. But really, it's around the larger issues are probably around sort of data protection what sort of impact will this have on the normal banking system? So, you know, if we were to, they did some illustrative scenarios actually in this consultation, they were talking about, okay, well, what if a fifth of, you know, the UK's money was actually in a digital currency as opposed to, you know, traditional cash, if you like. Um, and the, what what impact would that have on, on the bank's capacities to lend to pe- people and businesses? And it actually turned out to be relatively modest. I think they they estimated that, yeah, there'd be less liquidity. They could raise more through long-term debts and gilts and things like that. And that would maybe increase so interest rates on lending by 20 basis points, which is in, in plain English, 0.2%. So reasonably modest impact. But then you also, what's the positive side of it? Well, you've got more money in, I guess, the digital arena. And you're taking the banks out of the system. Can you access money and funds and lending in a different way? So we're still at a very embryonic stage, I think, in all of this. Um, but it's clear that the the, the, the Chancellor, the Treasury, the, and and the Bank of England are all on board with this as a plan, and that they, yeah, you know, we don't want to miss out by not having the regulatory system in place to encourage these businesses and fintech and 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 the, and the space to develop in the UK as opposed to where it probably stands at the moment a lot of people look at it and they think this is really hard to do in the UK at the moment so actually let's explore different territories and we you know we potentially a loss loss of talent in the UK as a result right okay yeah i mean that makes sense but what does that mean for investors and advisors benjamin perhaps you might want to answer this anyone who's been in the space long enough knows that one of the more common arguments why not cryptocurrencies was what happens if the government bans it? That was never a very good statement because there are multiple governments in the world. And so it's not a government that does it. Anyone who's followed their technology history enough knows that when new waves of technological change come along, governments are reactive. It's only when the use of the technology reaches a certain scale where the risks are manifest, but the benefits are manifest as well. The governments then go and make adjustments to legal and regulatory frameworks in order to accommodate the, the, the new technological realities. 
Uh, for investors in the United Kingdom, the, the item to flag then would be to keep an eye on the FCA. The FCA put in place a ban on sale, marketing, distribution of uh, crypto derivatives uh, a couple of years ago uh, for retail investors only, not for institutional investors. But if the uh, Chantrivia Cheka is now coming out and saying that this is going to be the hub of crypto uh, in the world, well, I have a feeling there's a memo on the desk in the FCA to have a look at those rules. Uh, Wisdom Tree operates across Europe. Our ETPs are available. They're passported across the whole union. Uh, Switzerland has always been very accommodating and forward thinking around this space. That's where we listed our ETPs first on the SIX exchange. Baffin in Germany has been uh, making progressive steps in this space as well. That's setting precedents for other uh, regulators throughout uh, the union to begin uh, making adjustments themselves. So in that sense, like the United Kingdom's got quite a bit of catching up to do uh, relative to the continent. Um, but it, the, it's mostly good news, though, for institutional investors. And it's one in the United Kingdom where they should keep a very close eye because there are going to be some very highly likely to be some big changes occurring in the near future. Are you able to enlighten us a little bit further on those changes? The FCA ban would be the first thing to be removed. I mean, what it's done essentially is force a whole lot of retail investors to go out and search for suboptimal, less secure platforms as they attempt to get exposure to this space. It hasn't stopped them from going out and getting exposure. It's really only exposed them to higher risks than if there was to be a, a regulated alternative available to them in the United Kingdom, as there is in continental Europe and increasingly in the United States of America. Talking about America, Bloomberg Intelligence, as I said earlier, has issued this report in which they said that they expect that crypto could well become mainstream if the regulatory environment would follow suit, I suppose. In particular, they mentioned the launch of a spot ETF that could really propel this market into the mainstream. Um, can one of you kind of tell us what a spot ETF is? And, um, and what's happened in, in the U.S. and what you make of um, this assessment. I mean, I know that um, the U.S. government has already signaled, um, you know, some willingness to move in this space in a recent Biden paper. So an exchange-traded product, an ETP, is a, is a type or subset of ETF, exchange-traded fund. Uh, Wisdom Tree has crypto ETPs throughout Europe. They are, in inverted commas, physically backed. It's a bit of an oxymoron given we're talking about digital assets. It's a relic from the gold ETC space. So the idea you would custody gold in a vault and issue shares that allow people to claim the underlying asset or commodity in question. The United States, the SEC, has been reluctant to approve one of these spot Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, Wisdom Tree has applied in the past, but without success. Uh, in the interim, the CFTC has approved futures-based Bitcoin products, ETFs which uh, aren't physically backed by the commodity or the, in this case, Bitcoin in question. It's a derivative. Uh, there are all kinds of issues around contango and erosion of returns from uh, futures-based products if they're held sufficiently long amount of time. But uh, there is some hope, maybe Matthew has some information here around the executive order on the responsible development of digital assets. It, it seems as though there's some movement at the US federal level now around uh, regulations not just in the ETF space, but more broadly, such as that we're seeing as well in the United Kingdom. 
Yeah, Ben, as you mentioned, there's been quite a bit of movement happening, but not the big move that I think a, a lot of you know asset traditional asset managers and, and investors are hoping for in the U.S., which would be the SEC approving a spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, we saw the futures-based products hit the market last fall in 2021. We've seen a paper come out by the Federal Reserve around the potential for a central bank digital currency. We've now seen an executive order, as you mentioned, on the uh, the executive order on ensuring responsible development of digital assets. So I think uh, you know a point that you brought up earlier is that the um, or, or government and the Biden administration is realizing that they're almost playing catch up at this point with the technology and they he's you know telling different branches of the government that they need to examine the risks and the benefits of cryptocurrency and uh, you know that could potentially uh, spur the sec to, to take a closer look here but you know we've got our, our neighbors to the north to have spot bitcoin etfs we've got a um, you know a trust-based product um that's that's you know based on the a spot price and i think um you know every everyone in the industry that's, that's close to this believes that the regulation is the real thing that that's holding the SEC back. And once we do see some regulation put into place, then, then we will likely see a, a spot yeah, ETF approved. You know, the, the common phrase for probably the past I don't know, five plus years has been next year is the year. I, I don't think next year is the year, maybe 2024, maybe, maybe later, but uh, you know, as a result, what we're seeing now are, are um, you know, fintech companies rolling out platforms to be able uh, to allow advisors to access cryptocurrency direct on behalf of their clients. And and uh, for some of them, the, the fees are you know pretty reasonable. And I think they're going to compete pretty closely with the fees that we'll expect to see on a spot um, Bitcoin ETF. And so I think at that point, once we see a spot ETF uh, approved, we'll see just like we have you know in the traditional asset management space for decades is a, is a uh, somewhat of a race to, to zero or, or you know whoever can provide the easiest cheapest uh, most efficient access um, on, on behalf of their clients or, or, or who are you know going to be able to to gather a sizable portion of those assets and matt do you agree with the um bi's assessment that this this asset class could well move into the mainstream if the environment allows I, I do. I, I mean, I, I really believe that the concerns around um, cybersecurity and, and protecting investors, you know, once those can be somewhat alleviated, and, and I think, you know, an approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF is viewed by many as a pseudo stamp of approval by the SEC that says, okay, cryptocurrency is, uh, I guess, safe enough for us to allow you to invest in it um, for a, um, you know, for a, a regular retail investor. I, I think it can help propel things in, into the mainstream, um, you know, uh, and even without that, we're already starting to see some some signs in, in ways in which it could be propelled into the mainstream. We have plenty of hedge funds, opportunities in the VC space, ways to access it, uh, you know, cryptocurrency and other digital assets and DeFi through publicly traded companies as well that are investing significantly in the space. So, you know, I, I don't think that the entire industry relies on the SEC to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF, but I think it will certainly help you know, speed up the adoption. Let's move to our final segment, which is all about advisors and how they might be looking to position themselves in light of what we've discussed in terms of how crypto is developing. Now, we know that currently, we know from different pieces of research that there's only a small fraction of advisors that hold crypto in, the, in their kind of portfolios. 
And of those advisors, the majority only hold like a very, very small percentage. Like they typically typically allocate, I think, 1% or less of the client's portfolios to, to crypto. Matt, how might advice firms position themselves in in light of a possible boom in this space? So I think it's important to think about the fact that when I when I think about product development in the space, when I think about a boom, I'm not necessarily saying that we're going to see Bitcoin 100,000 or, or Bitcoin a million, you know, whoever's you're looking at. What I'm looking at is is really just, uh, you know, further adoption in the space, development of the, the ecosystem. And so I don't know whether Bitcoin's going to uh, 100,000 or whether it's going to 10,000 this year or if the volatility is going to remain where it's at or, or, or calm down. But advisors need to understand how the the asset has has behaved, and they need to be able to have you know enough knowledge to be able to have an intelligent conversation with their clients, who are very surely going to be coming to them asking about cryptocurrency and why they're not exposed when you know they their retail investor clients may have FOMO when they're seeing their uh, you know their friends reap returns from the space, or they have in in, in the past five to 10 years. So in terms of, you know, whether it's a portfolio fit, they, advisors need to use a, a, a typical, uh, maybe fundamentals, not, it, it's not, you know, directly fundamental, like uh, traditional finance. And there's, there's many different ways to, you know, assess the performance and assess how it may be a, a proper portfolio fit. But they need to understand, you know, how it could fit into a portfolio, which and where it may be appropriate. And I think, you know, just like we see in um, a lot of, you know, more volatile alternative assets, probably larger allocations for higher net worth clients that have uh, higher ability to bear risk and a higher willingness to bear risk. I think for some of those smaller clients that it may not be a good portfolio fit for them they might really get that ask and that demand from those clients to, to be including it, in which case, you know, it can still potentially, you know, be a, a small piece of their portfolio. I think, it, and we have seen already that advisors are putting themselves at risk of losing assets by not starting to use this asset class where they're allowed to. And by not being able to have the conversation with the clients in terms of why it should or should not be included uh, in their portfolio. We've heard, you know, there, there are many risks to crypto investing, well-documented types of risks, such as reputational, financial, regulatory policy. But Benjamin, is there a real risk of missing out? Matthew has already uh, mentioned the um, FOMO fear of, of missing out. If crypto did really well and your advisor didn't put you into crypto at all, and then you miss out on that growth, is that a real risk that advisors should start to think about? Well, it is a real risk in the sense that if there's anything that we've found out in the last five years, there are a sub subset of technologically literate people out there who have done very well from investing in this space. Uh, that's now just a fact. Uh, it has not disappeared. And so sometimes when we sit down and think about this with people, Wisdom Tree's product range has expanded beyond just Bitcoin. We have Ether, Solana, Cardano, Polkadot, all kinds of... Um, additional coins and, and tokens for our product range. Often I'll sit down with uh, clients and say, did you know that there's more than Bitcoin? And then they'll say, well, sorry? I'll say, yeah, Bitcoin's the minority of this market now. There's 60% of the market that's everything ex-Bitcoin. And uh, if you're not keeping an eye on all that space, much of which is very experimental, then you are potentially missing out on having the Amazon or Google in your basket in the late 90s. So the space hasn't gone away. It's grown and diversified. It's more than Bitcoin. And 
only suggestion would be to try and, to the extent possible, keep up with the space. Uh, the good news is there's a lot of information now available to advisors that was not available five years ago. Uh, and so they can tap that kind of educational material so that they then in turn can help their clients best avoid the risks which do exist and as a consequence maximize their potential benefits and returns from a space that's uh, extremely interesting, uh, fast moving and, and evolves over time. Yeah, thanks. Quite a clear message there. Um, Chris, let's finish off with you. What would you say to advisors who might have last informed themselves about crypto, say, two or five years ago, have kind of not gone anywhere near it because they're not interested since? How have things changed in that space of time? What do they need to know now? Well, I think that the we've discussed a lot of it already. There's been a big evolution in this space over the last five years in particular. You know, it's very easy to assume if you haven't really been keeping up to speed with it, you'll have heard undoubtedly the hype, the noise around it in, in the press and so on. And and to be fair, if you're still listening at this point, then you probably are sort of trying to educate yourself in this space. And I think that's the key thing that people need to do. We're quite a way off for a lot of advisors for being able to, you know, give proper advice as to you know, what are the risks in this space and is this the right investment? People need to be getting as much education as they can in it. This isn't going away anytime soon. The technology will is fundamentally going to change how we we run our lives in the future. And as, as we've seen with sort of governments coming out and saying that we want to have this as you know a global hub in the UK and adopt it as potentially as an as a digital currency in the UK, this stuff is sticking around and it is going to revolutionize the way that we run our lives in the same way that the internet bubble did from the late 90s. Yeah, you know, the, the winners and losers may not be the ones who are the winners and losers right now as Benjamin was just a, a sort of alluding to, but it's you know, the key thing is to, you know, to start on that journey. We've got a whole generation of new wealth being created in this space and people risk being left behind unless they they realize that actually, no, this isn't the same as 2017 when it actually was quite a small number of early adopters, if you like. And yes, the market crashed and, and it crashed quite dramatically. You know, we've had, it's it's still highly volatile, don't get me wrong. And, and that's probably the main thing that is stopping mass adoption and why we need regulation to some extent. You know, if we want it to be mainstream and we want lots more retail investors to take this on board, then we need to have the we need to sort of knock out the the volatile volatility from say a, a tweet from Elon, for example. You know, that sort of stuff eventually will will smoothen out. And when it does, you know, I think this is that's the point where we're going to see it, it explode really, and and people need to be at the forefront of this if they want to be taking full advantage of the of the new wealth and the opportunities that are offered in this space for, for advisors. Great. Thanks. It's a great way to um, finish off, I think, um, because that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for joining me today. It was really uh, fascinating to discuss this space in a little bit more detail. This is a CPDable uh, podcast. It will give you 45 minutes of CPD. So please answer the questions below and bank your CPD. And thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.